You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. On the way, this is Beth White, your host this morning for our uh, monthly radio show from the Office for Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship. And welcome to all of you watching on YouTube or listening to our podcast. We are so grateful that you take your time out of your day to listen to the stories and what's happening over here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. So today, we're going to have a little different show. So the first half of the show, we're going to talk about Renew My Church, kind of where we're at in the process, and continue that conversation about building the new reality. So first up, I'm going to have Father Jason Malave, who's the Cardinal's liaison for Renew My Church. On the second half of the show, we're going to focus on preparing for Lent. It's upon us, believe it or not. And Jen Delvaux from our office is going to be interviewing um, um, an author of a book, Ashes to Hope, I believe is the name. And uh, she has pre-recorded that. So we're going to move into that after this conversation. So welcome, Father Jason. Thank you, Beth. Really a joy and an honor to be with uh, the show again. It's been a joy talking about the renewal process for the last, I think it's been five, six years. I know, right? It's kind of crazy. So you, um, most of the time when people think about Renew My Church, they think about what we would term the decision and discernment phase. So I know you've been really steeped in that. You've been at a lot of the evenings where announcements are made. You've walked with people along the way. So could you just uh, share with our listeners where we are in that process? It was uh, almost six years ago, the Cardinal divided the Archdiocese into a hundred groupings with the invitation over time to have conversations uh, amongst those groupings about the right structure for those parishes. And we know that over the last five, six years, uh, many parishes have gone through some significant changes. We are, by the grace of God, coming to the last 15 groupings. We'll look at about nine or 10 groupings towards the end of this academic year. So we'll be finished with those groupings towards May and June of this year. And then there's a small number of groupings up in Vicariate 1, and we'll have conversations with those. But by and large, the discernment and decisions, by and large, will be substantially done by May of 2022. Wow. And uh, it really does allow us to get busy on the next part of renewal, having looked at the structural part of renewal, 
Now we can move on to the building the new reality part of the renewal, which actually gets me out of bed every day. <laughs> so could before we transition to that, would you just explain to our folks why we started this way? Why are we why did we look at our demographics and our buildings and our structures and our ministries? Why did we start with that whole component before we asked parishes to move into the spiritual renewal side? Now, that question is what every single parishioner on the grouping teams asks the same question. I know. And the answer, and the answer that, I've re, that I've shared a million times, just about a million times, the headwinds, really, when the Cardinal started the renewal, the headwinds were against us. Mm -hmm. And there's four very specific realities that we have to be honest about. One is the number of priests that are available in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Number two is the number of people participating in their faith uh, in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And because of that, then the operating budgets are not where they used to be uh, for just maintaining and continuing uh, parishes as we have in the past many decades previously. And so parishioners and money, priests. And the fourth one is just the age and the size and the scope of our campuses. Many of them built around the turn of the century. There, there's, there was significant millions, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in deferred maintenance that was happening. So as the Cardinal looked at calling us to an invitation to to discern the right structure the headwinds were against us and we had to start with the structure would that we began with evangelization you know i would have been a fan <laughs> of that but the headwinds were against us and we yeah. had to look at the structure and now can dive deeply into the investigation of our spiritual renewal around evangelization and i would say too that we were um part of the the, the struggle too is if you weren't if we didn't do this we there's no way we could have moved out of maintenance because it was a constant trying to maintain things, right? And so I also, as for those who may or may not have been part of the decisions of sermons, part of the decisions of sermons was really to look at who we are as a community and who we're trying to serve so that when we're ready to move into building the new reality, that we really know why we're doing this. Is that right, Father Jason? You're absolutely right, Beth. And so many people when they felt the pain and the loss of, uh, you know, the parishes uniting mm -hmm. and they continued to pray at two different locations or their parishes uniting and one closing, mm -hmm. the only thing that, that sometimes comforted the hearts of those people where their parish closed was the knowledge that this is a first a structural investigation and the spiritual renewal, the work of evangelization was yet to come. And so they bore the pain and the sadness of the closure with the hope and anticipation that our church is going to get stronger. And so many people had that on their heart as they made that transition and united themselves at one or the two locations. And so I do know about your retreats that you would um, put people through. So what was the sort of the imagery, the the way that you animated the 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 sort of they as we're entering Lent towards uh, Easter, what was that uh, just for our listeners? What was that process of you invited them to think about? In the very initial phase, we didn't we didn't uh, help people on mm -hmm. their spiritual understanding of this of this journey, but around wave two or wave three, we invited all the participants from all the groupings. So not only the pastors of the parishes, but their representatives, four or five or six representatives. We invited all the representatives, and the grouping team members, uh, to participate in a retreat, and, and it was very basically a journey through the Paschal mystery. What is the Paschal mystery? It's a reminder, it's the reality uh, of Jesus's birth, his life, 
specifically his death and resurrection. And so very intentionally and very uh, honestly, people walk through how our lives mirror or match Jesus's life itself. So how we in our own life experience the gift of life, we experience suffering, we experience sometimes death, death in relationships, death in uh, uh, family uh, structures, death, physical death uh, of loved ones. Uh, but Jesus also desires for us resurrection. And that, that's uniquely Christian. And it's uniquely because of Christ's own journey of his own passion, death, and resurrection. That we might experience our own suffering, death, and resurrection while we're here on earth until one day we experience the resurrection in the kingdom of paradise. People were, they're, they're kind of startled at how honestly and how beautifully we connected our journey here on earth with what Jesus went through. They were a little bit startled at that, and it brought a lot of tears because what they were thinking about was not their parish, the loss of their mom mm -hmm. six years ago, mm -hmm. or the loss of a child 10 years ago, or the hopefulness they found after a divorce. And they found themselves really uh, moving, acknowledging the pain that they experienced, but really moving into where they found Jesus's love in the midst of the resurrection. Uh, and, and it was really a great experience for, for folks uh, on the retreat. And so a lot of times when we're looking at some of these places where they've had to unify, so there is a loss. Um, someone's going to lose a pastor because when there's a unification, there's usually one pastor. Um, they may lose their building. Um, and even those who unify, they, they lament um, losing community because the community now changes. There's more, there's different people coming. And so I think what's, um, really important is that we think about the, the um, I, I love to think about uh, Holy Saturday. And it's that liminal time in between. So sometimes we're in this painful grieving place, and we don't, we can't yet see what's to come. And so I think what we've built into the structure of building the new reality is sort of the hope for what's to come. So could you share with us a little bit about what, in some parishes, they need to go through this phase. They, they go through decision discernment. They need to go through the operations transition. So if there was a change, they've got to get a new name, a tax ID number. they got to get a new website. they got to do all those things. And then they end up in building the new reality. So what, when you said it gets you up in the morning, what's exciting? to you about building the new reality if i could just build off your holy saturday for a sure. second because sometimes sometimes that holy saturday that waiting period in between death and resurrection sometimes for newly united parishes that waiting period is a year yes or two years yes but what's what's really powerful it's been a privilege to be with many communities when they've had a glimpse of what the resurrection could look like. They, they just get a, a glimpse at one mass, and sometimes that takes the form of a unity mass where people come together, and all of a sudden, people are looking around, and for the first time in a long time, the church is full. Yeah. Or another glimpse of the resurrection is when they celebrate their new name, and I've been part of celebrations when they've celebrated the new name of uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis, and all the kids are there, and all the kids are transformed by the experience of seeing this young saint there before them, and that they too might uh, one day be a saint on their faith journey. Or um, Mother Teresa's celebration when we named a parish after Mother Blessed Mother, say Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So while they're in the Saturday for a while, there's moments and glimpses of the resurrection that mm. they're moving towards over time. So I like that image. Thanks for reminding yeah. me of that. Mm -hmm. Holy Saturday. So what gets me up in the morning? 
Oof. You know, as, as a pastor, I've seen the beauty of fully alive parishes and fully alive parishioners. I've seen the beauty of that. You know, when you get a family and, and they're there celebrating the first communion of their child and they're back the next day. First communion <laughs> on Saturday and they come back on Sunday and then they're the following Sunday. And, and I've been blessing the forehead of this kid for seven years. I've been during when they come up for communion yeah. and uh, they're with their parents, their parents put their kid first and, and the kid crosses his arms. I've been blessing the forehead of this child for seven years. And then finally, I'm, I'm able to offer the child the body of Christ and their mm. eyes light up and their whole relationship changes and, and they're receiving something they've been so uh, desirous of for seven years of their life. And they're back the next Sunday and the next Sunday. So there's something really vibrant and beautiful and full and rich and dynamic about that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. But as pastor, I've also seen the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, 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 you don't know who the kid is that you give first communion to, and you never see them again, mm-hmm. ever, like ever, 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 ever. So what I like about building a new reality is there's a, what makes me get out of bed in the morning is the, the hope and the drive and the movement towards an intentionality about wanting that life-giving relationship of Jesus for everybody, for, for everyone in the parish across the board, and calling people and reintroducing people to that beautiful relationship with Jesus uh, such that it could be life-giving, as life-giving for the parents as it is for that little child who's been getting the blessing for seven years and finally receives the body of Christ. Uh, that, that's what gets me out of bed is that's what building the new reality really is, is a, a deeper relationship with our generous God with Jesus, who he sent among us, and the Holy Spirit, who continues to inspire us and transform us uh, as our generous God. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. So we're going to take a break right now, and um, we will be back to continue our conversation with Father Jason. Catholic Charities, we fight hunger in Chicago throughout the year. Our six regional offices in Cook and Lake Counties work together to offer sit-down and to-go meals to anyone in need. We deliver meals to those who are homebound, and our eight food pantries offer three to four days of food supplies based on household size. Participants in these programs have the opportunity to learn about other Catholic Charity services that strengthen individuals, families, and their communities. The challenges for those dealing with food insecurity are especially great during the winter months. To learn how you can help those who are hungry in your neighborhood, visit catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7525. That's 312-655-7525. Thank you for your generosity. We are at the Most Blessed Trinity Parish Food Pantry in Waukegan. And here we uh, care for people in need. There was definitely an uptick in the needs for services. We 
double their volume after COVID hit, from servicing about 250 families a week to about 500 a week. We supply bread, tortillas, vegetables, milk, cheese, butter, uh, proteins, fish, chicken, eggs. Well, the annual Catholic Appeal has been a tremendous help to us, especially over the past year and a half. Without the annual Catholic Appeal, we might have to close our doors. Um, our parish is the largest one in the archdiocese, but it's very poor. We think about food and we think about nourishment, but we also nourish the soul, provide that connection to humanity. The good works here are made possible through the annual Catholic Appeal. Make your gift at annualcatholicappeal.com. Ancestry and genealogy are more important every day. People all over the world are wanting to learn more about their family heritage for personal and for health reasons. At Catholic Charities, we are hearing from adults who lived for a brief time at St. Vincent's Orphanage, the wonderful life-affirming agency that operated out of our headquarters for 91 years, serving thousands of women, children, and families until it closed in 1972. Our post-adoption services help adults who want to learn more about their experience at St. Vincent's. Our compassionate staff members provide whatever family background information they can offer, along with support and reunion services. To learn more, call 312-655-7093. That's 312-655-7093. The spirit of St. Vincent's lives on in the inspiring stories that continue to emerge today. Can a dead man come back to Welcome back to On The Way. This is Beth White. I am talking with Father Jason Malave, who is the Cardinal's liaison for Renew My Church. And we are talking um, about Renew My Church and building the new reality. So Father Jason was just sharing with us what gets us up and what helps him get up in the morning or what gets him up in the morning. So Father Jason, I... Um, when we talk about building the new reality, we talk a lot about discipleship, missionary discipleship. But one of the things that I have really started honing in on is this sense of, you know, folks sometimes think that this is um, one more thing we want them to do. And um, I think we've come to realize through the Spirit ourselves that this isn't something else we're due. It's actually what we're called to do as a church, right? This is actually our mission is to make disciples and spread the gospel, right? And so when you talked before, you said about having a, um, a personal relationship with Jesus and things like that. So could you share with our listeners what that means, the sense of discipleship, missionary discipleship, having a personal relationship um, what, how is that different than what we've already been doing? I know that was a very big question. It's the question. It's the question for all of us. You know, I, I'm a lifelong Catholic. I was baptized as a baby, the whole nine yards, Catholic elementary school, Catholic high school, Catholic college, a Catholic seminary graduate school. Yet I have to say that as the Cardinal called us this time of renewal, the relationship and the, and, the, and, the, and the idea that we are disciples of Jesus struck me newly. I have to say that. I've been a priest for, I, at the time, I've been a priest for 19 years. But the relationship with Jesus as his disciple really struck me personally newly. And I started thinking about 
here have been celebrating mass for 19 years in persona Christi, but yet still the image or the relationship of Jesus as his disciple, the, sitting at the foot of the master, matching my life after the master, who's Jesus, working on this discipleship for the rest of my life, it struck me newly. And, and, and I'm, I'm happy for the opportunity to talk about it and witness to it because I had always been a Catholic before then. I'd been a parishioner. I'd been a priest. So those were some of my relationships. That, that's how I saw myself in relationship to God as a Catholic, as a parishioner, and as a priest. But to call myself a discipleship, a disciple, and remember that as a disciple, my whole life has to match the master's, Jesus's. Mm. Oh, Beth, that was like, I'll tell you, six years ago, it was like a bright light went off. And it started with that book called Intentional Discipleship. Mm. Uh, that's what started for me. And then soon after, there was this whole explosion of this conversation around discipleship. And one of the three taglines of Renew, Renew My Church is making disciples. It really meant, Malave, you have better look at how you are as a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you're a priest, and yes, you're a Catholic, and yes, you're a parishioner, a Chicagoan, a Cubs fan, sometimes a Sox fan. I, I support both our Chicago teams. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but first and foremost, most importantly, the relationship that, that God's going to take a look at and the relationship that he's going to hold us to is, did you follow my son? Did, did you follow after him? Did you match your life to Jesus's? Were you loving like he was? Were you forgiving like he was? Were you generous like he was? Were you selfless like he was? Were you hopeful like he was offering you the resurrection? Did you match your life to my son Jesus? Is what God's going to ask me. Or if I see Jesus face to face, do I know you? Do I recognize in you a little bit of what you saw in me? Do I know you? And I want to be able to say, yes, I knew you. And I, and I was, I am, I was, and I am your disciple. Um, and then Pope Francis comes out and pushes us even further, saying discipleship is great, but actually Pope Francis calls us to missionary discipleship, moving beyond ourselves into the world around us to share the good news of Jesus. I'll tell you, Beth, my, my, my last six years as a priest has been changed by this whole relationship of what it means to be Jesus's disciple mm. and work on sharing his, his, his joy and his love with those beyond us as a missionary disciple. So yeah, it's been a big move in my own life personally. So when someone's hearing this right now, what did you do to grow in your relationship as a disciple? What were some of the practical so, steps? One was my prayer. Mm -hmm. My prayer changed. Um, it was, you know, I, I'd been doing my regular prayer, you know, three times a day, doing my regular prayer, uh, trying to get it to those as often as possible. Um, but besides the regular prayer, you know, I really found myself using that image to connect myself with, with the master, with Jesus, our savior, whom we love, connecting ourselves, being full of gratitude to our generous God and asking that the spirit continue to move in my heart. So I, I think that's the first first way it, it manifested itself. First of all, I had to bring it into my head and my heart, mm. this whole relationship with Jesus. That had to, it had to touch me in my brain and my heart, first of all. And then I found it first affecting my, my relationship uh, into prayer. And then my relationship with others. Mm -hmm. You know, again, are you loving as I loved you? Uh, are you forgiving as I forgive you? You know, and, and, and the majority of the time I can say yes. I'm, I'm practicing my discipleship 
there's still those times that discipleship is a high bar. It's a really high bar. I fall, find myself falling short, which is a reminder that this is a lifelong journey of discipleship. It's nothing that's you can punch the card and say, I'm done, because it's a, really a lifelong journey. And thanks be to God for the forgiveness that Jesus offers us and the chance to start anew and keep, and keep moving forward. What, why, your, what is your understanding of why Pope Francis is saying to us, yes, be disciples, but you also have to be a missionary disciple. Why Why is he pushing us into that from your perspective? It would seem that Pope Francis, I would say rightly recognizes the fact that we can live our discipleship in a little bit of a bubble. Mm-hmm. Meaning we can pray really well, we can serve you know, our parish or our family, we can uh, we can share our time, talent, and treasure, you know. Um, but 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 my sense is that he's asking us to do that beyond just ourselves. Mm-hmm. So not only pray, but also pray with others. If somebody shares with you, you know, their mom passed away or their dad passed away or somebody's in the hospital, can I can I pray with you, generous God? You know, send down your healing touch about upon you know Mary's mother who's in the hospital looking for healing. We know that you have the healing power to send upon Mary's mom. Please send that. Uh, so so can you pray with others? Can you, can you extend that prayer, not just by yourself, but also with others? Can you serve uh, with that real sense of missionary discipleship and serving sometimes beyond our comfort zones? I'll serve sometimes where it's easy. Going beyond where it's easy, where I'm uncomfortable, I think that's where the Pope is calling us to, mm-hmm. serving when it's even uncomfortable. And then not only sharing our time, talent, and treasure, but also sharing our faith, sharing the way Jesus touches our own hearts and our own lives. How, how are we called to share not just our time, talent, and treasure, which is a gift, but also sharing our faith in small faith groups, sharing our faith with our neighbors, witnessing, w- witnessing to the power of God in our own lives. Uh, so I, I really sense that Pope Francis is calling us out of that bubble and into an opportunity to pray with others, serve even when it's uncomfortable, and pray, and also share not just our time, talent, and treasure, but also our faith with those uh, whom we encounter every day. And I think that's what he's calling us to. And Father Jason, um, we don't have a lot of time left, so it can't be a really long answer, but um, our world, as Catholics, we don't talk about our faith. It just isn't something that we do, and so we're really stretching people to say you need to talk about your faith. Why? Is that necessary in today's world? Why why didn't we need to do that 40 years ago? But why do we need to do that now? 40 years ago, our culture was so radically Catholic. We, we were really living in an age of Christendom, you know, where where every where Christ, Christianity and Catholicism was 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 par for course. It was the religion of the of the of You our, went of to our church culture. on Sunday. No, everybody went to church on Sunday, right? We just get in line behind everyone walking down the street going to church on Sunday. That's how it was. <laughs> it's, it's not where we are today. It's just our culture has shifted so radically. And so we have to go back and practice what really the early disciples, what the apostles did. And, and they shared the, their faith in Jesus person by person by person by person. So we find ourselves in what's called a new apostolic or new missionary age, where we're really going to have to share that with, with one another. And sometimes it's as simple as sharing with your kids why as parents you baptized your children? Mm. I was hopeful. I was hopeful for you as my firstborn, my secondborn, my thirdborn. I was hopeful. And I wanted you to have what I had, which was a deep relationship with God 
maybe not so deep with Jesus, but it's growing deeper with Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes it's just a matter of witnessing to the power of God moving in your own life. That That's sharing your faith. Yeah. And people don't always recognize that. I mean, we believe the Holy Spirit is working in everybody's life at any time, given moment, right? And we, we can't control the Spirit wherever the Spirit goes. But sometimes you wouldn't recognize that. You might think it's a coincidence or something, right? Oh, we got to go, Father Jason. I could talk to you all day. So thank you so much. Up next is Jen Delvo with an interview with Paul Derzembowski, who's the author of Hope from the Ashes. Thank you again. <laughs>